And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was... And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is at Gibeah, accompanying the, the, the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manners of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And they, they had a good time, didn't they? They had a good time. And when they came to Nikon's threshing floor, Uzzah put, his, put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Peruzah to this day. One more passage here. It says this. It says, 2 Corinthians 12. 9 through 10. And he hath said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my power, his power, God's power, is made perfect in your weakness. His power is made perfect in your weakness, in your circumstances, in your situations in which you can't figure it out. That's when his power comes to light. Most gladly, here's what Paul says. Paul says, therefore, I will, I, I rather glory in my weaknesses. I, I glory in my weaknesses. I know we're shouting here, but do you glory in your weaknesses? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wherefore, I take pleasure in weakness. And injuries, how many here got weakness? How many got injuries? How many got wounds that have been hurt and that still have not been healed? Physical ailments and necessities. How many have needs and persecutions and distresses? He says, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak. When I'm weak. When you're weak. When you don't have it all. When you don't measure up, then I am strong. And for a little while, I want to preach to you on the topic of broken strength. Broken strength. I'm going to tie that title back in. I, probably, I promise you before the end of this message, there's a reason for that title. I'll give you the reason. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, just to gather together, people of like precious faith, God. And I pray through the ministering of this word or through the, the worship, Lord, or through the, the time at the altar, through the prayer, Lord, that you would have each and every person here leave out with what you meant to give them, God. I pray that the words from my mouth, okay, be for the edification of your body, of your church this morning, Lord. Just take all of me out of this message, Lord, and articulate it to the, the, your people here today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated.
Allow me a little bit of just the time to set the scene here. Is that all right? Our opening text is from 2 Samuel chapter 6, and it starts out, and this is the beginning of King David's reign. In the previous chapter, if you go to chapter 5, it tells us the Bible says that David was 30 years of age when he began to rule. And he starts out, it, it begins to start out, and, it, and we get chapter 6, and what chapter 6 it does, it kind of drops you into the middle of this scene, and this is early in David's reign, and so David, the, the little boy that you remember that was the shepherd, the boy that killed the lion, that killed the bear, he's now all grown up. And so 2 Samuel is going to be about a change in administration. There's a change from King Saul, who's the former king. He was the first king, but now, now David's on the throne. There's a, there's a new king on the throne. There's, as they say, there's a new sheriff in town. And, and so the, the nation of Israel is moving from Saul to being now under David. And anytime you, anytime you have an administration change, you can expect that there's going to be drama. Anytime you have an administration change, you can expect that there's going to be tension. Things are not going to be smooth. They're going to be rocky. Okay, a couple of years ago, we had a, a change in presence, right? And it almost tore this country right in two. People just don't roll with changes in leadership. They don't roll with it. It doesn't happen smoothly or passively. If you go into your job and all of a sudden you have that boss that's been there for 15 to 20 years and they're well-liked and they're well-loved and they know the system's in and out and out and in. But when that boss begins to retire or when they leave or when they go somewhere and the new boss steps in, you know what folks start doing, right? You start looking at that, that new boss a little funny. They don't even know my name. The only reason she got the title is because she knew somebody. A change in leadership does not come smoothly. But I want someone to hear me now this morning is, is whenever you go from one kingdom to another kingdom, there's bound to be friction. There's bound to be a fight. Okay, and I'm speaking to somebody in here this morning, and maybe, maybe if you're in here and you say, you know what, I, I just started making my way back to church. I just, just got baptized. I just got the Holy Ghost. I'm here to tell you this morning that you're in the midst of, a, of an administration change. You're changing kingdoms. You're going from the kingdom of, of, of darkness into the kingdom of light. Okay, and, and, and here's what my Bible says in Matthew 11 and 12, what the, Jesus says. He says, and since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven, you know what it does? It suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. It takes it by force. So whenever there's an administration change, whenever you go from one kingdom if you, it, to, the, to, the, to another kingdom, there's bound to be a fight. Now, here's what I do. I, wanna, don't, I don't, don't want to take that verse out of context, but the point I want to begin to drive home this morning is that do not expect, if you've stepped into this church recently, if you've just found yourself coming back to Christ, if you've just gotten baptized, if you've just gotten the Holy Ghost, you can expect a fight. Don't expect when you go from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God for things just to suddenly just kind of die down. Okay, Satan is just not going to sit there and say, so long. If you find that that kingdom works well, don't forget about me back here. Satan is not content in that. He is going to fight you. Okay. Some of you can testify here that when you transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, it started when you were in rehab. 
It started when you were in the hospital bed. It started when you were in a prison. It started when you were at the bottom of bottoms. It started when things begin to fall apart. Understand this. Can I get a witness here this morning? God is beginning to break and shake some things up when you're transferring from one kingdom to the next. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we pick up the scenes, and here's what we're seeing. We're seeing the actions of a new king. This new king is, is David, and, and the, the administration is, is, is shifting. David and Saul, they both had different reigns, and you can contrast their reigns. But one of the main problems that I want you to take away this morning is that, that Saul and David face is they face the problem of how do you get God's people united? How do you get us working together as one? Okay, it's, 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 it's one of those aspects that you don't pick up from Scripture, but when we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, really at this point in Scriptures, they're all independent. Okay, they have the same faith, they, they, they believe the same God, they have the same laws, but they really only come together during a crisis moments. And sometimes, and, and, and I, I got to point to myself here because God began to work on me on this message. Here's what happens is sometimes that relates to me and you. You know, for the most part, sis, the only time we connect with each other is from Sunday to Sunday, right? The only time we connect to each other is on a Tuesday when it's corporate worship. But other than that, we don't really begin to gel and mesh together as God's people, okay? Or else when there's a crisis moment, that, you know, maybe I call you and text you a little bit, okay? But it's got to be to the point where the people of God have to get to the point where it's not just week to week that we connect with each other. It's when I send you a text throughout the week that I say, brother, how are you doing? I love you. How are you doing? Brother Tim, it's when I say, you know what? If you're moving, I'm moving, okay? How was your week? How are you doing on the job? How are things going in your life? And so David has the daunting task of how do you begin to unite God's people under one banner? And so the first thing you're seeing that's happening is David's going to do this. David is going to be transporting the Ark of the Covenant, and he's going to transport it from this place called Gibbah, and he's moving it to a place in Jerusalem. Okay, now you, can you pull up that map for me, sis? Now, here's what I want you to understand. This is a map of Old Testament time. Gibbah to Jerusalem, you can see I've circled it in white. It's only about a four-mile trek. That's it. That's it. It's just four miles. Not far at all. Okay? And what he's doing is he's going to move it. The Bible says that it is, is in this, it's, it's in a place called Gibbah, and Gibbah is actually in the tribe of Benjamin. Remember that. It's in the tribe of Benjamin. He's moving it to Jerusalem, and this is a very, very big deal. And this morning, I'm going to hone in on two points that I want you to take away. Two points, okay? First and foremost, what in the world really is the Ark of the Covenant? I'm going to give you as, a, as concise as a definition as, as I can. Pastor Brownie, he can go in depth with it, but I'm going to give you as concise as a definition as I can. Why is this thing so important, okay? The next thing I want you to hone in on this morning, there's two points, two points. Okay, what's the message to us, to you and I, in where the ark is being taken from and where it's being taken to? What's the message to you and I in where the ark is being taken from and where it's being taken to? Okay, so we'll deal with the first one. What in the world is the ark of the covenant? Can you sit that second picture, sis? Ark of the Covenant is, in short, is one of the most sought-after biblical artifacts of all times. It is the topic of countless debates, discussions, videos, 
of to where it is. The excitement around it even transcends into Hollywood. And Indiana Jones says Raiders of the what? The Lost Ark. Okay, that's how deep this thing transcends to, into. But the short explanation of what the ark actually was, what was this box? It's the best way I can describe it to you. It's basically a miniaturized version of the throne of God. It's a miniaturized version of the throne of God. Bible says in Exodus chapter 25 that God gave Moses the blueprint of, of how to build this thing. And he gives him the exact directives of make it like this. Don't cut any corners. Make it to the exact specification of what I have given you. And he tells Moses that that top part where you see those two, those two angels looking in, that top part is what we call that right in the middle is the, the mercy seat. And he tells Moses, he says, from this spot, that blank spot, he would begin to actually talk to him. Now, think about this for a second. And I don't know how this worked, but the, between Moses and the high priest, the Bible says the high priest would go through the veil on the day of the atonement. Please call me out if I'm wrong, Pastor. And what he would do is he would drop the blood right in the middle on that mercy seat. And poof, I don't know how it happened, if it was a blue light, but he would have an audible conversation with God right then and there. Woo! And God would speak to him. It was, it was, it was, it was this, this, this box that contained the presence of God. That's, it's where God dwelled. It's where the king resided. And it's at this same box that they, they took and marched around, around Jericho. And that, that's what broke the walls down. It's this same box that the high priest had, the Bible says, when their feet, when the high priest's feet hit the, hit the Jordan River, that the, the water parted. But, but, but this, this today, 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 today. God's presence isn't in the ark, but God's presence where he wants to dwell is inside of you. It's inside of you. He's not looking to, to, to break down the walls in Jericho, but he's looking to break down the walls that you and I keep up as we try to keep him at bay. All the, 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 the walls that we do to keep him, God, Lord, you don't need to go in this area. I'm, I'm okay over here. Lord, don't, don't, don't touch this. Okay? He's looking to break down those walls and to connect with you. He's, the, 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 art, the, the presence of God this morning is, is, is not about parting the Jordan, but it's about helping you to understand in the midst of your circumstances when you say, I don't understand how I'm going to make it through this month, this week, this, this year, that God says, I can make a way when there is no way. And so David's first order of business is to do this. He's going to move the Ark of the Covenant that's been sitting in this place called Gabal. And the Bible says it had been sitting there for 20 years. 20 years the Ark of the Covenant had been sitting in a man's house, okay, sitting there dormant. Now, now if you know anything about Gabal, Gabal was the former stomping grounds of the previous administration. Gibal was actually where Saul was from. And I can't tell you whether this was intentional or unintentional, but Saul had kept, seemingly kept the Ark of the Covenant in his own backyard. It had been sitting there in Abinadab's house for 20 years. And when I talked to you before about that isolation, that, that tension between the tribes, how all of those tribes were siloed, this no doubt probably contributed to that. Okay. The fact that, that, that one tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, had, had seemingly had access to God against all the other tribes. 
Let me begin to tell you this morning, as, as, as David was trying to kind of break up this monopoly, that, 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 that you have full access to God through Jesus Christ. You have full access to the Father through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. This, this man holding a microphone has no more access than you do through, through Christ Jesus. And so David, David is, is, is trying to break up this monopoly. And, and, and here, here's what happens is that in doing all of this, okay, He's going to be moving the ark from Gibal to Jerusalem, but, but, but here's where things get very, very interesting, and we're going to get to the second point here, is, is that where is the ark being taken from, and where is it being taken to, and how is that in relation to where you are today? Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 3 says, your, the King James Version says, the man that, whose house the ark of the covenant in, was in was, was, was a man by the name of Abinadab, and it says that he was in Gibal. But, but if, you, if you actually pull it up, if your version of the Bible is the, the Amplified or the, the NIV, it actually says the hill. It says Abinadab lived in, the, in, 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 a, in a hill. That's, that's what Gebal means when you interpret the word. It's, it's the hill. See, Gebal was what you would call hill country. It had, it had hilly terrain. It had a landscape that, was, that had its highs and lows. And there was, there was, there was, there was no flat ground. There was, there was, anybody ever here been in hill country? A place that, that, that everywhere you look like you got to walk up a hill? I watched you on track for the past couple weeks. How was it running hills? Not good. It's tough, isn't it? There's a constant fight. There's a constant resistance. And so Gibal was hill country, and they were, they were transporting this ark from hill country to Jerusalem. I, now, I, I remember when I was 18, I, I left, and I went, to a, I went to a little college just for a recruiting trip named Loris College. Loris is in Dubuque, Iowa. And Dubuque, there's nothing in Dubuque, but I just went there for, for the trip. Okay. But Loris is, is filled with hills, and so the entire campus is spread out. And everywhere you go, when, you, when we went over to the, the dorm room, it felt like you're walking up a treadmill. When you, when you went over to the, 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 the student area, it felt like you're walking up a treadmill. You go up and down, it's, you feel like it's, it's a fight everywhere you go to walk up and walk down. And, and, and the thing about Dubuque, Iowa, is that Dubuque, Iowa also is in the Midwest. And since it's in the Midwest, it's susceptible to the, the same elements that we get. So what I mean by that is that you have, uh, you have snow, you have rain, you have freezing rain and ice. And so you can, you, if you can kind of get where I'm going with this, it'll make sense in a second. Okay. You have a hills, which already your footing is a little bit tough, a little bit difficult. Every step that you take, it's, it's treacherous. But then you combine that with snow and ice, and it's even more dangerous. Now, now um, stay with me for a second here. Dubuque, Iowa is also a college town. You know what I mean by college town. You got some young folks there. And also when you talk about young folks, you got, you got a hill, you got freezing rain, you got young folks, and you have intoxication. And so Dubuque, Iowa is a place in which you better believe that you see a lot of people fall. You see a lot of people take some spills, and, and, and there, there are a couple of responses that we have to falls. I don't know about you, but you have those types of falls that you, you see happen, and, and you ever see these falls happen, and I call them the falls that you, you analyze. You saw the fall coming. You knew what they were doing wasn't going to work out. 
she decided to unload that refrigerator in high heels off the back of that truck. And you, you, you turn, this ain't going to work. <laughs> and, and as soon as the fall happens or as soon as the refrigerator drops, you, you, you don't have much sympathy. You just go, what in the world? Those are the falls that you analyze, you know what I mean? You saw they were disastrous before it began to start out. But then there are those falls that you sympathize with. You know the falls where it hurts like, oh. You see, you know, where you felt it when the person hit the ground. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And then there's those falls, that, the, the, the third ones, and we don't want to talk about this, but there's the third falls that you can't help but laugh. But you can't do it in front of the person, so you got to go in the back and collect yourself before you go check on them. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> but but here's, here's the point I want to drive home this morning. At some point in time, every one of us is going to fall. Every one of us is going to have a situation in which we drop something. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, falling is, 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 falling is, is, is something we don't like. And the reason we don't like it is because falling, when you, when you, even, even when something you're carrying, you drop it, falling is it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, frankly, because it's a reflection that, you know what, we don't have enough strength. We don't have enough coordination. We don't have enough ability. We don't have enough physical sense. Okay? We don't have the ability to transport ourselves from one place to another. Falling is an indication, frankly, that we don't have it all together. We don't. And so fast forward and you go a thousand or two thousand years later, there's another man by the name of Saul and he also is from the tribe of Benjamin. And here's what he says. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he says, wherefore I take pleasure in weaknesses, in injuries, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Here's what Paul realized. Paul realized in his own mess, in his own weaknesses, in his own circumstances, in his own situations, they were opportunities to lean on his greatest strength, which was, was to lean into Jesus Christ. At some point in time, you're going to have to start looking at the messes that you're in and realizes that there are opportunities for you to lean in and tap into a strength greater than you've ever understood before. Needs that you don't have resources to meet. Burdens that you don't have enough strength to carry. Injuries and hurt that go so deep, you don't have the words to even articulate how you feel. And that's why in Romans 8, 26, the Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes in those moments with groanings that we cannot express. Because there's times where I hurt so bad, I can't even express to you how I feel. It's the depth of my soul where I, don't, I can't even articulate, I can't even convey it. I, th th this, this microphone doesn't even do it justice as to how bad I hurt. He says the situations and circumstances that we encounter that completely exhaust everything that you have, every skill set, even your emotional stability, your strengths, I'm telling you this morning, they are all setups. They're setups. They're setups for you to turn to your greatest strength, who is Jesus Christ. Second Samuel chapter 6, the Bible says that they're transporting the Ark of the Covenant and they move it from Gibal. And they're transporting it to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that 
they get to the threshing floor of Nakan. And the Bible says that Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. And he tries to keep it from falling down. And the Bible says that God struck him. And I read this in, in, until, and stay with me here, because I'm, I'm we're about to get to the, one of the main points here. I read this there, and there's, there's, you know, there's a couple things that just don't make sense. It never made sense to me until recently. All right, so follow me on this one. They put the, the Ark of the Covenant, they put it on, the, on, a, on a cart, and they put the cart on the oxen, right? And they move through this hill country called Gibbah. Okay, and they move it all the way into this hill country. And the Bible says they get to the threshing floor. Now, if you know anything about the threshing floor, threshing floors were flat, flat surfaces. Okay, what they would do in biblical times is in order to process grain, what they would do is they would actually have oxen. And the oxen would drag this big board. And they would take their stalks of grain and they would put them on the threshing floor. And the oxen would walk around in circles. And what it would do is it would tear the stalks from the grain. Okay, they then would take the grain and throw it up in the air. They had what you call a winnowing fan. And the fan would take away the chaff that would be blown away, but the grain, the edible part, the part that you wanted to eat would actually drop straight down. Okay, the threshing floor was flat. Okay, and this is what never made sense to me. Never made sense to me in the natural, but it makes every bit of sense in the spiritual. Here's what never made sense to me. Why is it that the oxen doesn't stumble when they're going down the hill? Why is it that the oxen stumbles when they get to the flat ground? If there was any place that the oxen should have stumbled at, it should have stumbled way back when they were on, on, on that tre- intrepid ground. How is it that of all places, the flat place, that's where the oxen stumbles? Some of you are looking at me, and l- let me describe it like this. It's, it'd be like, I've, I've, my wife would tell you, I have a habit of leaving stuff on the top of the car, Okay. And sometimes I'm getting the kids in, and a pastor, and a, and a driver's seat. I'm trying to get the kids in. I got my Bible, got stuff with me, and I, I, I will put stuff on the top of the car. Okay, and, and I've, I've done it to the point where I've actually drawn. I've lost keys. I lost her keys. She had a good set of yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She had a good set of keys. I put the keys on top of the car and drove off, and, and I, we we never found them. But 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 you know, you sometimes you get those YouTube clips where you'll see people that will put stuff on cars. And you know what they do? They'll actually go to their destination. You know what happens sometimes miraculously? It's still sitting on there. It's still sitting there. You know what I mean? It's still sitting on top of the car, meaning they made a right, they made a left, they made, they turned all those way. They even got, you may even got on the freeway, okay? And it's still sat on top of the car, okay? And then you know what? You, you, but you, here, here's, the, here's the crazy part about it is that if, it, if it's still on top of the car the whole way and then you get on the car and then it falls, <laughs> then it falls off in the sewer. Like you made it this entire way and now it falls, and that, that's what never made sense to me. It never made sense in the natural. Never made sense. Until you understand the point. You see, the threshing floor exposed something. It exposed the fact that the people of God were carrying the presence of God the wrong way. The people of God were carrying the presence of God the wrong way. How were they supposed to carry it, preacher? The Bible says it is in 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 44. It says, And the Levites carried the ark of, of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according, according to the word of the Lord. It says the Levites. 
The presence of God was always meant to be carried by a human being, by the Levites. It was always, they should have never put it on an oxen and tried to transport it to Jerusalem. But David, he had the right, right thing in mind, the right thing in mind, but it was the wrong way of executing it. Okay, let them transport this thing from Gibal all the way to Jerusalem. And by the time it gets to Nakan's threshing floor, okay, the fall had to happen because it had to begin to expose the fact that they were carrying the presence of God the wrong way. They were carrying it the wrong way. My question to some of us this morning is some of you in here are in here by the design of God. Some of you can look back at your gabal, get back of all those situations and say you should have fallen. You should have failed. Some of you in here should have been in prison. You should have been shot. You should have been dead. You should have been in a hospital place. When you look back at your gabal and can't figure out how in the world I did not fall, how in the world that I'm not dead, how in the world that I'm not in rehab, I'm not addicted to anything else. But I'm telling you here this morning, God has preserved your life. He's brought you all the way through those ups and those downs, those highs and those lows, those situations and circumstances that you don't realize that you missed the accident by two minutes. You don't realize that a man that came in to shoot up the place, but you left the party too soon. You don't realize that... that, that, that that what they had laced that one batch of drugs with, they missed your batch and you put it into your system. You don't realize that the hand of God has been on you the entire time and has brought you here this morning, today, 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 for God to say, I've got a plan for you. I've got more worked out for you. I've got more to do in your life, more to do in your circumstance, more to do in your situation. But hear me now. The ark is moved all the way to the college threshing floor to expose some things. And some of you are in here right now and you're being taken through the ringer. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is a word I want to speak to you, I want to speak into you, that God is not against you. All he's doing is trying to expose some things and begin to tear some things down. Okay, he's, 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 You're at the threshing floor. You're at the threshing floor. You're at the threshing floor. You may say, hey, preacher, my world is falling apart. I'm having a hard time keeping things together. Let me tell you this. You need to let some things bottom out. You need to let some relationships go. You need to let some stuff fall. There's some things that you've been trying to hold on to with your own ingenuity, your own might, your own intellect, your own strength. And the Bible says just as Uzzah was trying to hold it up by his own strength, Uzzah was stopping the fall because at the threshing floor, God wanted to begin to expose some things, expose some things in God's people. And hear me now today, people of God, that God is trying to work in your life right now to begin to expose some things of where you are. And all he's trying to do is separate, separate and just get the grain, just the edible stuff. Let the chaff and all that other stuff that's in your life begin to blow away, go in the wind, and separate and just the stuff that you can use. Threshing floor. The Bible says that after that occurred, that... Uzzah reached out his hand under his own strength to stop the ark. And David was disappointed because God struck him. 
And so David called the place Parauza. Para, which means the break. Uza, which means strength. Hence the title, Broken Strength. Broken Strength. Let's finish. Your greatest strength resides in you coming to God in your own weakness. He says, my strength, my strength, this is God, this is, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, in your vulnerabilities, in your transparencies, in the situations that you say, this is beyond what I can handle, it's beyond what I can do. The, soon, the sooner that the, there are parts of my kingdom that come crashing down, the sooner he can start building his kingdom in you. The sooner, the sooner our kingdoms, our agendas, our motives come crashing down. This, uh, as the song says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is, is sinking sand. It's sinking sand. But sometimes exposed what we're, what we're standing on, he's got to let some things come crashing down. Some things in your life got to go, got, got to go blow away. God is saying to somebody in here, Look, I, I put you, I've got you at a point in your life where, where I want to be your only ace card. I'm, I'm your only strength. I'm shaking some things down in your world, in your foundation, because when I begin to put them back together, nobody can tear it down. Nobody can shake it. But first, but first, 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 you've got to allow me to do my work. You've got to allow me to shake some things. You've got to allow me to move some things. You've got to allow me to remove some things. The power of God was always meant to be carried in you and I, in these earthen vessels. We're fragile. We're weak. We're vulnerable. Our days, we don't have enough. I'm going to share this with you. Sometimes in these scenarios, I, 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 I kind of read the Bible like this, and maybe you should or maybe you shouldn't, but sometimes I, I always kind of wonder, what if they did it the right way? In, in, in these tragic situations in Scripture, I always read it and, and wonder, what, what if things had gone right? And what if they had actually transported the ark of the covenant the way they were supposed to. And the way they were supposed to was supposed to have been the Levites were supposed to have carried the ark. And as daunting of a task as that is, is that you consider this, the, those four, four men would have had to carry the ark through this hill country all the way to Jerusalem. It would have been a four-mile, four-mile trek. Four miles. Next workout you do, four miles up hills. What do you think? No? But, but these, 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 these four men, and I don't know how if they rotated the Levites, would have had to go all the way into Gabah, and, and, and they would have had to go up the hills and, and carry these, this Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And I can, I can imagine, had they done it right, you know what would have happened? Somebody would stumble. Had they, had they done it right, somebody would have got to a point where they said, my back is hurting. Somebody would have got to a point where, say, brother, I cannot make it on. Somebody who got to a point where I say, I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough strength. Had they done it right, it would have been a physically daunting task to go four miles up hills carrying an ark. 
But at some point in time, this is just what I believe. This is not scripture. Okay, you can leave this, take it, do, do whatever you want. Okay, but I believe, I believe point blank that during that journey, somebody would have got a revelation. And this is what the revelation would have been. It's not them that was carrying the presence of God, but it's the presence of God that was carrying them. And what you and I got to understand, somebody said, my back don't hurt no more because God is carrying me. My heart don't hurt no more because God is carrying me. My ankle is not hurting because God is carrying me. What you and I have to understand that when we get into obedience, obedience as to how to carry the presence of God, it no longer is just about you carrying on the presence of God, but it's about the presence of God actually carrying you. I'm going to open up this altar, and here's what I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to pray for any, any, any agenda that you have, but I'm going, to, I'm going to pray for you that if you're at this point in time where you're in a threshing floor, where God is beginning to remove some things in your life, God is beginning to do a work in you, around you, and through you, I'm going to pray that, that God gives you the strength to stay exactly where you are at. Do not get off the potter's will. Don't remove yourself because the work that he started in you, hear me now, he's going to finish it. If he started a work in you, whatever that work will be, don't get off the potter's wheel. He's going to finish it. Don't leave the threshing floor because God's doing something. God's only separating what's edible from what's chaff. Okay, he's separating the good, what he's going to work with. And tell, hear me now, hear me now, hear me now, and I'm done. Okay, the work that he started, if you let him, he'll finish it. And when he finishes it, it's going to be, be beyond, beyond anything that you ever thought that you could do by your own strength, your own talents, your own intellect, and your own might. This altar is open. Let's pray.